it's the next level. Where you guys, uh, where you came from? Is there a woman named Rose there? Black chicken, fifties. She, she okay? Yeah, man. She's okay. I'm I'm uh, I'm Bernard. Welcome, friends, into another episode of We Have to Go Back, Lost Revisited, from the Next Level Podcast Network. I am Ben Beck. And from Podcastica, I am Kristen Howell. Uh, We are totally into the second season now, and this episode we're going to cover season two, episode four, Everyone Hates Hugo Lies. (laughs) You know what, though? It's, I I love this episode so much. Well, any Hurley episode is, I think, everybody's jam. Yeah, his his episodes are, with the exception of maybe one, and I can't even really think of it off the top of my head. I, I'm just assuming that there is one. <laughs> his, his episodes that, that focus on his backstory are pretty much, they just add so much levity to the season. Like, they lift up what's going on, and they tend to usually end happy. Uh, you know, I'm even thinking ahead to... Uh, God, the the episode with the Dharma van. Trisha Tanaka is dead. That is okay. I couldn't remember if that was the episode or not, but that is such a wonderful episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that. Uh, you know what? The, what that's one of those episodes that kind of like stays in your memory. But you know what? For me, this is also another one of those episodes um, because you get to learn really. Uh, you you get you kind of get to learn about why Hurley is Hurley. I think. Um, in this episode. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And you're right. This is another one of those episodes that just I got I, I love so much. Um, just to, to bring up a few points about the podcast before we continue forward about the, the format and such. We will talk about spoilers, as I already mentioned, the Dharma van from a future episode. I think that's next season, though, right? I think mm-hmm. it's season three. Uh, podcasts are released every Friday. We talk about one episode of the show per podcast. Uh, and I did get a response on a potential interview. They're checking their schedule. Uh, I'm not going to tell you who it is, though. 
until Why? It, until it's confirmed. Because well, okay, I don't want to tell wanna, me. I'll tell you when we're done. Ugh. <laughs> Do you really want to know that bad? Yes. Okay, Terry O'Quinn might be coming on. Woo! Yeah. Oh, that's real fucking cool. So we're uh it's in the works. There, his rep is checking his schedule to see if there's any possibility we could get him on because he actually does, in fact, enjoy talking about Lost. So when I made that, can we a, ask him like one question about Castle Rock? I'm sh- I'm sure he'll talk about anything. Like, because I I want to bring up something about Hawaii Five O as well. So I'm I'm sure you know we'll be able to talk to him about a bunch of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but that's a good, that's a good get, man. Especially for a first guest for this podcast. Yes. So, that is a great get. Great. Awesome. If we, congrats. thank you. If, well, congrats to you as well, if it happens, cause it'll be both of us. Yeah. I'm going to have to have a lot of bourbon before <laughs> that. But if I it, mean, not like so much that I can't remember it, but enough that I don't care if I mess up. That's all right. You'll be fine. <laughs> Uh, you know, it, you'll be fine. Uh, trust me. I've, I, you've done the on stage thing where you did it in person. This will be on the phone, so it'll be a little bit easier for you. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure I sucked ass at that. So I didn't see it, uh, but I'm pretty sure you didn't. So uh, I'm just saying, I have confidence in you, so I'm not, I'm not yeah. worried about having you on this with me. So I am, I am better when I'm by myself, not looking at the person. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> it's why we turn the cameras off on Skype. <laughs> but if it does potentially happen, it should be in the next couple of weeks. And depending on how much time we get with him, if it happens, we'll either make it part of the make it part of an episode of the podcast. Like we'll talk about an episode and then we'll just tack it on at the end. Or we might just take a break from the recaps for a week and put the interview out there. I vote that. OK, works for me. So, (laughs) but uh, let's talk about the episode. Uh, We're going to talk last week. We said our top five. I think we're we're still going to do. I think we're just now bringing it like the top our our five points instead of top five, because we're obviously going to go out of order and there's going to be ones that we share because it happens every week. Yep. So but I'll kick it over to you. Uh, What is one of your five points for this episode? So. It's actually, I wanted to talk about like the thing that I loved the most, and that is that we meet Bernard. Um, so I love the Bernard and Rose story a lot. I love that Rose never gave up on Bernard. I love that they, I love how their story arc concludes. Um, and I love that we got to meet Bernard and when he found out that Rose was alive at the end of the episode, it's one of those. I watched the episode twice and I cried twice. <laughs> uh, I did, too. I, I did, too. And I, it's funny because I watched the episode right before we started recording. You and I got on a, a phone call this morning at like 10 o'clock and the episode wrapped up at literally 10. I timed it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And right before I called you on Skype, I'm like, I need to wash my eyes. Um. <laughs> But I'm glad you brought that up because that's actually my my first one I wanted to bring up as well. Cool. Um, but I, I'm gonna I'll let you finish your point and then I'll just I'll tack on after that as oh, well. It was just really little um, because I have a lot to say about the survivors um, it, later. But 
just it was nice to have Rose reintroduced into the story. I liked the way that they did it. It didn't feel forced. It felt very organic. And it reminded us about Rose and Bernard, which felt really natural at the end when, um, you know, when when we do find out that Bernard is is asking Michael and Sawyer about his wife. Um, you know, I forgot that he was the one that answered the door after um, when when they got to the Dharma station and they open and, and Bernard opens the door and, and I saw him and I was like, Bernard, yay. <laughs> <laughs> And then he comes over and I, and he's like, so, um, you know, can can you tell me if if there was a woman, blah, blah, blah. And, and just that sense of relief that came over him and just, I don't do well when men cry. I don't, I've never done well when men cry. So when he was like, Oh, I was like, no, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) I just started just crying. So that was the end of that. Well, and and I think what just to expand on that a little bit for, you know, for mine, too, because, again, I wanted to make this my number one as well uh, or start with this, because this is to me probably the the best element of this episode is just it's not just meeting Bernard formally for the first time because we do get his name and, you know, we get that whole moment about him and, and Rose and him getting that, as you mentioned, relief that. Rose is alive and mm-hmm. seeing the joy in his face of knowing that his his wife is still alive but it's there's the happiness all around at by the end of this episode that I think really sets you up for when you get that Bernard and Rose moment mm-hmm. we get the whole element I mean we'll talk about this more in detail as the episode goes through about Hurley's job of separating the food and <clears throat> what his final decision was of of just giving it all out and letting everybody be happy. Mm-hmm. But it, this goes further on to the point about how Hurley episodes add levity to the season. While most other episodes are ending in like cliffhangers or something happening or setting up further progression of the season, this Hurley episodes, again, this one in particular, always tend to end with people laughing and people smiling and just getting that whole sequence of seeing everybody like enjoying themselves eating food jack picking at kate's food and like her playfully pushing him away charlie giving uh, uh giving claire the jar of peanut butter uh and seeing the 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 container of apples in front of her and just knowing she's getting apples and peanut butter all of this just adds to that and enha- and enhances that moment of bernard and rose And by the end of that episode, when you see Rose with the candy bar after the whole story about the sweet tooth and how Bernard had a sweet tooth, seeing her put that candy bar in her pocket and that's how the episode ends. It's just you just you're so happy. And at the same time, you're like, oh, I really hope these two characters get to reunite at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I um, there was that really great moment at the end inside the Dharma um, the Dharma station where he says, thank you, Michael. And then Michael, I think he says like, nice to meet you, Bernard, or you're welcome or something, but he hold, but he, he, as he's shaking his hand, he takes his other hand and he grabs the side of his arm. Mm-hmm. And it's like this stranger hug, you know, cause they're strangers, but 
he's so fucking grateful for for Michael in this moment. And Michael is happy. You know, Michael has lost his son. You know, he doesn't know where his son is. And he probably knows exactly the anguish that Bernard is going through. And he's able to give relief to Bernard. And it's a relief that Michael also seeks right now. So I really like that special moment between the two of them. Yeah, that and that handshake. That's interesting that you bring that up, because I didn't even really think about that at the time. But that whole, there are different emotions behind different handshakes. And I mean, there are experts out there that will talk about this. But that kind of a handshake of grabbing the arm, along with the handshake, that is a massive show of respect and and mm-hmm. gratitude at the same time so you're right it, that was a great way for the writers and the producers to show that all of these emotions that bernard has towards michael and michael's telling bernard in the story uh, to, it was a great way to show that all of that was genuine there was mm-hmm. nothing malice or false Contrived. exactly there was mm-hmm. nothing bad behind that that was totally mutually respectful and genuine. And you don't get a lot of that, I think, you know, especially with strangers. You don't get a lot of those genuine moments because everybody on this island seems to have walls up all the time. Nobody knows what to share, when to share, who to share it with. And, you know, Bernard is, we will learn later, he's a pretty straightforward character, you know? Yeah. Um, Michael is pretty straightforward character. We know that he basically has one mission ever, and that's Walt. And Bernard's whole mission, my guess, you know, has probably been Rose. So they share that. And um, it's just nice to see. Nice to see that kind of come together and gel. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah exactly. It's it's quite honestly, uh, you mentioned crying both times. And I, I, got, I definitely got choked up both times as well. It, it's almost to the point where it brings so much happiness into your heart watching that I even after we're done recording this I might watch that episode again while I'm editing this yeah just because it's that great of an episode yeah I agree I like this episode a lot it's like Mary Poppins returns lots of joy in your heart which I still haven't seen I need to you there's something very wrong with you that you haven't seen that movie because it's so freaking joyful it's so joyful like I left and I felt ten pounds lighter. It's it's not that I didn't want to see it because I, I don't get me wrong. I I know we're going off topic, but I, I I love the original Mary Poppins. I just haven't. Trust me, there's like two or three other movies out there in theaters that I really want to see, and I just for the starters, I don't want to leave my house because it's too damn cold. <laughs> uh, but I just haven't had an opportunity. Although this Saturday, even though it's up in the air right now whether or not I'm going to be able to make it. Uh, I have a three-week advanced screening of How to Train Your Dragon 3. And, oh, God, you want to talk about... I live six hours away from you. (laughs) You want to talk about the pos... You want to talk about crying at a movie. God, I know I'm going to be bawling my eyes out during that one. I love that movie. Okay, let's get back to this. Uh, Um, So since we have the same number five, do you want to give me your number four? Sure, I can give you my for your second point. Yeah, I can do that, and (laughs) and and it kind of ties into uh, a little bit as to what we were just talking about—the whole uh, moment at the end, and with everybody being happy and everybody enjoying themselves. There's actually one person who's not sharing in that happiness. She kind of has a little bit of grief right now, or 
her mind is possibly wondering what's going on, and that's Sun. Poor Sun. Because of the fact that Claire finds the bottle of messages washed up on the beach, and she feels... You know, her and Shannon kind of feel that the one person they should take it to and decide what to do with is Sun. Uh, you know what's really interesting about that? I'm sorry to interrupt. No. Um, is that Shannon went with Claire and Shannon just had that vision about Walt. So I don't know if that was to add, like, to the mystery of the bottle washing ashore, adding Shannon into that scene. Because Shannon and Claire have never really been, like, friends yeah uh but you know what it was one of those things i was actually going to pose the question to you why do you think they chose sun to do with this i mean because we kind of already get that that feeling that jack is obviously the leader so jack would be a very obvious person you could take that bottle to in regards to everything why do you think they took it to sun because i think that the only person on the island that had any real connection to the raft is son. Sawyer and Michael, Michael took Walt. So all of his connections were gone. Um, you know, son's husband was on that raft. And so as a default, I think that it is absolutely 100% appropriate to go to son with it because son would be the one who would need to know first, not Jack. And you know, how much has Jack really been around since he's at the hatch right now? Yeah. Right. Not to mention, you know, he doesn't really, I'm sorry, but Jack wouldn't care. He'd be like, yeah, it's a bottle. Who cares? I mean, I'd like chuck it in the bushes. Well, not only that, but Jack is also the kind of person who would probably say like, well, perhaps it just fell off the boat and it came back. I'm sure they're fine. You know, he he would kind of write it off. Or he would say, I think you should give this to Sun. He could possibly say that too. I think, uh, and I agree with you as to why they gave it to Sun. I think you're right. Sun is the the obviously connect the obvious connection because of Jin being on the boat. She's the only one that still has that separate connection as of and uh, uh, as opposed to everybody else. Mm-hmm. I think the only other person who potentially could have been given that bottle, and only because it was his idea, was Charlie. But Sun mm. was still a much obvious, a much more obvious choice. Because I mean, I I think you that's could. That's a good point. I, 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 and Claire is the one that found it, so it is possible. No. Well, I think I think, that... I think giving it to Sun is just the natural choice, and and I I I like the way that that played out. Oh, I do too. And I, I again, I think Sun. Uh, I I agree. I think Sun is the natural choice, but I think there. If there was anybody else, it, it could have been Charlie because Claire could have taken it to Charlie and said, hey, did you forget to give this to those guys? Mm-hmm. You know, if she was questioning whether or not it was even on the boat. Mm. But then again, why would it wash up on shore? Right. Uh, right. So uh, did you notice at the end when she buried it that uh, her wedding ring was already gone? Uh, I did not, but I know that definitely plays a part into a future episode well since i knew that it did i i looked this time to when she was bearing it to see if they already laid that groundwork and they did good that was smart yeah that was very very smart because i'm sure nitpickers would have pointed that out uh <laughs> if if they didn't do that and it also proves that there is a plan well, I mean, that was also only a couple episodes apart. Don't care. Don't care. <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
<laughs> I agree. I agree with you. Uh, what about you? What's your fourth point? Um, so my fourth point, I'm going to change it because I don't think that it's much, but I'm going to use one of my runners up is that, um, Sawyer is a friend and Michael is a dick. (laughs) All right. I I like where this is starting. So, um, you know, Sawyer, I think Sawyer played it the smartest. Is that grammatically correct? The most smart? whatever. He was the smart one in the pit. And when they, when they, uh, drop down, whatever that was, the vine or, you know, makeshift ladder or whatever it was. And echo was like, you know, grab the rope. I liked it that echo, by the way, as an aside, I liked it that he said, please, like you kind of saw, okay, this guy isn't a monster. Yeah. And for a first, for a first time watcher, echo is fucking scary. Oh, he's intimidating. Real scary. <laughs> when he apologizes to, uh, I forget, I think to Michael or, or, or somebody later as they're walking, I'm like, Sawyer. Oh, I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. Echo, he's a nice guy. He's like the most tender hearted out of all of them. But yeah. I digress. Um, so who was it that went up first was it was Jen, right? And Jen, Jen didn't want to do it. And he looks at Sawyer and Sawyer's like, don't do it, man. No way. Um, <laughs> And he only went up because there was a gun pointed at him, right? But Sawyer said, no, I'm not going to do it. Like, go ahead and shoot me. I don't care. You know? Yeah. Um, And he's left in the pit. I probably would have, I myself would have gone that route. I would have stayed in the pit um, just because I, I, I wouldn't trust anything that Ana Lucia said at this point. They were honest with her. She maybe was honest with them. Who knows? I mean, I understand that as somebody who has seen the whole series that they've had a rough road of it since, since crashing, but I don't know. I mean, I think that Ana Lucia and, and I'll, this is like my number one point. I think Ana Lucia has done everything wrong. Um, but I would have been in Sawyer's camp. And then when they came back later, um, after Jen and Michael went away and, Echo said, grab the rope. And he goes, and he said, no, I'm not doing, I'm not doing anything until I know that my friends are okay. And Michael comes up, he's like, oh, oh, so we're your friends now. And I'm like, really, dude, he pulled you out of the ocean. He administered CPR to you. He got you to shore. He protected you and stood up for you in the pit. And he's had nothing but your back the entire time. And you decide to what? Whoa, we're your friends now. Fuck you. I'm sorry. I'm swearing a lot at this episode, and I apologize to anybody who's offended. Um, We're marked as explicit. You're good. Well, I think anything that I'm on is marked as explicit because I can't seem to filter myself. (laughs) However, I don't know. I just I thought that that was just so Michael, too. You know, now now he's on. Now he's with the uh, Ana Lucia and Mr. Echo side of everything. So now he's a big guy and he's like, hey, man, everything's fine. We had a talk. It's like, you know, shut up. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I just love hearing you go off on rants like that. It's great. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I think Sawyer has been a real stand up guy the past couple of episodes, especially when considering what Michael has gone through. And I think that Sawyer has been a really good friend to him. So that exchange just felt 
it just stood out to me because I didn't feel it was necessary for him to be antagonistic to Sawyer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I guess, and I'm not defending Michael in any way with this because I do agree with you. It's, it's for him to sarcastically say, Oh, we're friends now. And just, I, I mean, I understand why he did it. It was to give Sawyer that sense of like, yeah, we can trust these people. You can finally come up. But he handled it the entirely wrong way by saying that. Uh, and you're right. We talked about that. I think it was last week when they were on the raft or was it the week before? I think it was the week before with the drift. Yeah. Two weeks ago, yeah, two mm-hmm. ago with the drift. Uh, you know, that mutual, that mutual respect between the two of them where they might not like each other, but they respect each other in that they're not willing to let the other one die. Uh, and it's kind of like, you're right. Michael kind of just has defeat completely ignored that. And he, just, he's free now. So it doesn't matter. Um, I don't know where I was going with this. I completely lost my track of my train of thought. Well, while you remember, I do have a question for you considering okay. Michael. Do you think he has any loyalty to anybody besides? I mean, Walt, I understand, is his main objective. But I found myself wondering if he has any true loyalty to anybody that he has spent the last 40 days with. I think the only person he has loyalty to at this point is Walt. Uh, I, and as I, I mean, I'm not a father. I, I've been a surrogate one at times. But, uh, you know, as somebody who's seen enough and knows enough people with children or anything like that, I'm not saying I blame him, uh, especially in the current situation that he's in now. I think when he was on the island still and Walt was with him. I I think Walt obviously should have still been his number one priority, but it was okay to have loyalty with some other people, to side with some other people. But now in his current situation with Walt having been taken and that being his objective, I think it's completely fair of Michael to do whatever it takes to get Walt back. Uh, And we're going to see him, you know, coming up relatively soon we're going to see him change sides a number of times. Right. And, and I do know that I I just, as a mom, cause I am a mom, I am a parent. Mm -hmm. And if somebody pulled me out of the ocean and saved my life and, and had my back and told, and basically, you know, joined my cause to find my son as, as it looks like that's what it's shaping out to be. I'd have, his back i would have loyalty to at least the people on the raft with me i i think there's a difference though and this is just my train of thought i i think there's a difference between having a respect enough for somebody to have their back and having loyalty towards them i because i think if yeah i i definitely agree with you that you should have the back of somebody who has yours but if if a situation changes Whereas you have to make a choice between that person and your objective, especially if that objective is your son, you can't blame Michael for making that choice. Because if Michael in this current situation right now feels like he has a better chance of finding Walt by teaming with these people and going against Sawyer, he's going to take it. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think there's there's a difference between having that mutual respect of somebody who had your back and completing your objective 
Ooh, I don't know. I do, I think the two could exist hand in hand. I, I think if if you have a choice of being At the able end of the to day, have you both, have to live with yourself. That's true. <clears throat> it's very true. I I just I. I I don't know. I, it's it's one of those things that I don't know if, how you would react until you were actually in that situation. And thankfully, oh, absolutely. Thankfully, neither one of us has ever been <laughs> in that situation. And I, I'm pretty safe to say we will never be in a situation where people shh, on a boat shh. take our child while we're on a raft trying to escape an island that we crashed on. But you never know. You never, never know. <laughs> Well, all right. <laughs> uh, should I go? Yeah, please. I, what, I guess, what's your next one? I, I guess my third point. Um, I, I made an interesting uh, observation as I was watching. Okay. We're talking about the tailies, uh now with Anna Lucia <laughs> and Mr. Echo and uh, Bernard and, um, and Libby. I made a very interesting observation, and I'm wondering if maybe you can see things the same way if you haven't already or if you could see it after I explain it to you. Sure. There's we, – we know that there were 47, I think, survivors from the front end. 48. 48. There were 23 from the tail end. So yeah. half the amount uh, – so there, there's double the amount in the front than there is in the back. Which made me come to this observation that potentially the tail end survivors, each one that we meet, is kind of a combination of two characters that we know already. And I saw this more prevalent in Echo and Anna Lucia. To me, watching this episode and thinking forward as to what we know about these characters, Mr. Echo, to me, is kind of a combination of Jack and Locke together. Whereas Anna Lucia is kind of a combination of what you would get if you combined Sawyer and Saeed. Um, you know, Echo is that he has that leadership capability, but he is driven by faith. You know, we're getting Jack and Locke together in Mr. Echo. Anna Lucia, we're getting that rough around the edge of Sawyer, but the person who is very smart and, you know, from the, we know from her law enforcement background, just like Saeed was with his military background. So I don't know of what other characters that we're going to get that with when it comes to the tail end survivors, but at least in my opinion, rewatching this episode, I definitely saw that in Echo and Anna Lucia. I don't know about you. I did not. But I do think that Anna Lucia is the worst. Well, I agree with that uh, completely, especially now. I don't know. I, I don't I don't think she does herself any favors. In fact, it, it and and I'll let this be my my third point. But it was a front of the plane versus back of the plane uh, kind of comparison, which I, I think is kind of what you're doing right now. Um, it seems to me that we have kind of the difference between a democracy and a dictatorship and kind of what the fallout of that, of both sides is. If Jack was left to his own devices, I'm not sure that they would be, that the front end would be, uh, the losties would be where they are now. Um, I don't think that they would be 
the the community that they are now. I think that Ana Lucia has taken it upon herself to be the only decision maker of the group um, as far as what we can see right now. And a lot of and and I'm so glad that I have forgotten most of the other 48 days and I, I'm looking forward to watching it. I think it's the next episode. Um, I, I'm really looking forward to watching that because I think I've, it's completely left my brain, which is great because I, I get to re-experience it. But you see that they landed, that they crashed with 23 people and you go into this Dharma station and there's like less than 10 left. Now, we learned that the others have been a little bit harsher with this group than than they were with uh, the Losties. But a lot of that also has to do with the fact that, you know, the the Losties had somebody like Saeed and had, had um, a tracker like, like Locke and like Kate. And they had, you know, all of these uh, elemental people that kind of helped fortify their area. Also, I don't know what the difference is between crashing on the beach versus crashing in the jungle is. And that probably has a really big, um, that, that, that's probably a really big factor there. However, I see a lot of leadership similarities between Ana Lucia and Jack and the fact that they both want to just be like the end all be all of decision making. And Ana Lucia seems to be a little bit, rougher with it you know um the the other people seem to kind of defer to her almost like they were um not scared of her but intimidated by her maybe i'm not sure she definitely was the leader um there there was no doubt about that whereas i don't i don't think that we really have a set leader for the losties i think that jack is a de facto leader but I think that you could take Jack easily out of the equation and you can fill it in with a number of characters. Okay. I, I can see that point too. And uh, the more I think about it, I think you're right. I think Echo, while I said he does have leadership capability, and he does, I mean, it, he does uh, show that in future episodes. I, I, you're definitely right. Anna Lucia is more the leader than Echo is for sure. And I think I think intimidated by is a good way to put it. And I think that's exactly what it is. As you mentioned, uh, the other 48 days, which is actually three episodes away. Okay. Uh, uh, well, that's we, a bummer. I wish it was next episode. <laughs> I know. Well, I completely forgot that uh, the other 48 days happens in between a major event. Oh, I, I know what it is. We get something that happens and then... The other 48 days is an episode in between before we find out the resolution to that event. So it, it was very smart placing by that to keep fans in, engaged. But I think you're right. I think intimidation is definitely a way to put it because when we do get to the other 48 days and we see what these people put were through, as you had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, it it it's very rightfully so. I think that she kind of not – she doesn't step up. As a leader, it kind of gets thrust upon her. Mm-hmm. Whereas Jack is kind of, I guess he kind of steps into that role, sets up, as he mentioned, a democracy, and then kind of just takes a step back and lets things play out the way they do. Uh, yeah, but on his terms. I mean, you know, if we want to go with our Jack is the worst segment right now in the middle <laughs> of the podcast, I, I, I've got a litany of examples especially with this this stupid episode. You know, I, I look. This episode is not stupid. 
No, it's not. But Jack is stupid. <laughs> the fact that he, you know, Hurley comes with Rose because he needs help. And Jack's like, who else did you tell? It's like, this isn't your hatch, buddy. Locke found it. Locke lobbied for it. You washed your hands of it. And then you came back to yell at everybody about it. Then you didn't want to press the buttons and you still press the button. And now you're just, what, peeing all over it because now you think it's yours? Like, this guy is such a dick. I mean, he doesn't (laughs) want to do anything until it's time to do something. And then he claims it as his own. And he claims to have, like, authoritarian rule over all of it. It wasn't his hatch to say who comes in and who doesn't. It's not his decision. If it's going to be anybody's decision, if you want to give the hatch to somebody, it's Locke's decision. It's not It's not Jack's. And Locke is like, I don't care who knows. I've got to convince all these people to, to push the button in the first place, as he said to Charlie. So, you know, just I, I, I understand he may have started being a leader with really – good intentions but those intentions have um morphed into something else Uh, yeah and i'm not taking away your jack is the worst moment jack is the worst (laughs) because i do agree with you but for the most part uh but i do think as a leader sometimes difficult choices have to be made and when it comes to the hatch Somebody did have to step up and say, okay, there are some responsibilities that are going to have to come with this. Whether or not you believe in what they are about pushing the button and things like that, it's somebody's got to delegate. Yeah, and- but they already made those decisions. They, 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 it seems that they had a council on it already, and now everybody is doing their jobs. And it's not Jack's job to say who comes and goes. That I agree with. I absolutely agree with like. When he did say that about Rose being in there. And I just, I found it so funny and lighthearted that Rose was like, I wouldn't even know what to tell people. It was, that was my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree. Like I, I w- and as she's just looking around dumbfounded, like, I wouldn't even know what to tell anybody. <laughs> Honey, I wouldn't even know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I love Rose so much. Like, she's such a fantastic character. And I like I was so I I know this is getting ahead of ourselves, but I was so excited when we finally got a Rose and Bernard backstory episode Mm -hmm. to find out Mm -hmm. like how they met and how these characters came together. Like it's so wonderful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These two characters are so engaging throughout the the course of this series, and I love it. They're a good love story. They are. They really, really are. I agree. They're like a Jin and Sun. To a degree, they yeah, Uh, and and. Thankfully, not as tragic uh, as a Jin and Sun love story, but uh, theirs is left open to interpretation. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was, was that your number three as well? Yeah, I mean, I think so. That I, um, I just have a question. Do you think that the main difference is between the Losties and the Tailies, just from what we know right now? Do you think that the main difference in survivors is beach versus jungle or the different leadership styles? Uh, in what sets the groups apart, you mean, as to mm-hmm. why they are the way they are? Mm-hmm. I think it's totally I, – I, actually, I don't think it's either. Oh, um, okay. I, I, think it's ex, I think it's experiences. I don't think where their environment – like the I don't think jungle versus beach has really anything to do with it because the losties – 
are, are in the jungle as well. I mean, the caves are in the jungle. So they're sharing in that environment at the same time. Um, the the tailies have definitely, as we've seen, found a hatch well before the, the Losties did. Because mm-hmm. we do see the arrow hatch. Uh, come to come to light in this time because that's where they're living uh, and their entire group is able to fit in there because as you mentioned there's only like nine or ten of them left mm-hmm. uh, leadership capabilities I think it, I guess you could say it is leadership but I think the leadership in each group Jack being the leader of the Losties ipso facto leader of the Losties Anna Lucia mm-hmm. the Tailies uh, the leadership is in place because of the experiences that they came across you know we've had they eat we've as we find out later you know they've each been infiltrated by by one person we know that there were 48 survivors on the front there are 42 of them left there were 23 and maybe only 10 left we know at this point we don't know what it is yet that these guys have been through some hell and I think it's that hell that they went through that really sets it apart. I don't think it's I don't think it's the environment at all. If I had to pick one of the two, I think it's the leadership. Okay. Well, I have a proposition. Okay. How about when we get to the other forty eight days, we set aside some time to do some compare and contrast? I'm fine with that. Okay. I think that's that actually way- a really smart idea. Okay. And then we can make our final decision. At, at the end of that. <laughs> I mean, and in the meantime, I, I'd love to know what the listeners think too. Like, do you mm-hmm. think it's leadership or do you think it's environment? Mm-hmm. You know, jungle versus beach or, you know, I guess what Jack versus Anna Lucia. Well, or just leadership in general. Like yeah. I have here democracy versus dictatorship or authoritarian, uh, authoritarian tatorship, authoritative <laughs> leadership whatever you know what i'm saying i do um but the only case that uh, the only reason why why i say environment is because you made the point of saying that they that the losties had the caves but the caves took reconnaissance they fortified them they had a plan in place once they moved everybody from the beach to the to the caves and whereas it seems that the tailies were the ones they were dropped into the jungle without knowing anything about the jungle. I mean, we learned about the jungle over the course of a season. They learned about the jungle immediately. And the jungle, as we know, is a really scary, scary place. So scary that a lot of people opted to stay on the beach rather than go to the caves when they found out that they were going to move over to the caves. So that's why I think that environment would have anything to do with it. But I do think that it's ultimately going to be the the leadership style and uh, the community that was created versus the survival tactics that were used in the jungle with the tailies. So it'll be interesting to kind of break it all down. Definitely. Yeah, I, I agree with that, too. I think that's it's a really smart idea for us to compare and contrast when we actually get to the end of the other 48 days. So, uh, you know, I think it's something else I re- I just recently thought of, too, when you want to com- compare the two situations from what we know now is that, I mean, and obviously we don't know, as a, as a first-time viewer, you don't know what's behind these hatches yet. You don't know, mm-hmm. you know, who's behind them. You don't know what they're for. Uh, you know about the Dharma Initiative, but you don't know where the Dharma Initiative is. It's There's still a lot of mystery behind them. 
But as somebody who, as people like who have seen the series, it's interesting to think about that the Losties are hiding in places that, well, are, can be found, like the beach and the caves. The Tailies are hiding in a place that we know the others already know about. Like, that is not hidden to the others. They know about the hatches. Mm-hmm. So while the Losties are think that they're safe and think that they're being smart by hiding in these places, they're mm-hmm. really not. Mm-hmm. It's very, they're very, they could be very easily picked off if that was the objective. That's a great point. That's a great point. Oh, I'm excited for the rest of this season. I know. <laughs> once, oh God, once we start getting into the others and... Because it's as a first time viewer, you almost you're almost kind of when when you get the introduction of the tailies, you're kind of you kind of forget about the others for a point because you think like, okay, these are the other people that we were mentioned of. And then Mm -hmm. once you finally meet the others, it's like, okay, these guys actually still do exist. I completely forgot about them. Now things now the shit's really going to hit the fan. Yeah. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. Talking, yeah, talking about this season. So um, I guess that leads us into our our fourth points or number two, whatever we want to call it. Yeah. So what you were just talking about actually leads really well into mine. Um, so if you don't mind, I'll kick it off Go for since it. Yeah. we've been flipping and flopping anyways. Um, so it and that's kind of the theme of change. So, you know, we see a lot of change just from a show standpoint since the beginning of, of the second season, we've got a lot of different uh, places. Now we, we used to just have the raft, the hatch and the beach, right? Now we have the pit, the Dharma stations, we have the jungle, we have the beaches, we have the, uh, we, we are kind of spinning out right in, into, we're really feathering out into different places um, uh, in, on the Island. And then we also have the flashbacks, right? So, what what's interesting is that from a note standpoint, um, you know, when I do Game of Game of Thrones, I always start off my notes by dictating where we are, right? Because Game of Thrones is is like this a lot. You know, you're in King's Landing, you're in uh, Bravos, you're in Marine, you're in the Reach, you're in all these different places, and and it's hard to kind of keep track. So I always kind of label every scene. And during season one of Lost, it was just you know, Island flashback, Island flashback. It was really easy to do my notes. And now Mm -hmm. this, this season I find I'm starting my game of Thrones type of notes, right? I've got the places and I I'm circling them and then I'm drawing a line in between each scene so that I can kind of organize my thoughts a little bit. And that's a real change that's happening. And, and while we're changing up kind of the landscape of the show. Now we've got a whole bunch of new characters. We've got all the tailies that are now kind of being fed to us one or two at a time, right? Uh, last week we had uh, Anna Lucia. That That's the only name that we got, right? This week we got Bernard and Libby. Uh, Echo still hasn't said that he's Echo. He's still scary man with a stick. <laughs> yes, he is. You know, so um, I... I don't know when we get his name. I hope it's next week. Um, but for right now, all we have is Ana Lucia, Bernard, and Libby. And Libby is going to be a really important character too. But we're we're getting 
you know, new elements of the story. We're getting new characters. We're, we're finding out more things about the hatch. You know, Saeed says the last time I saw this much concrete covering something up was Chernobyl. So we're getting a lot of new information. And then you get this whole theme of change with Hurley. Hurley doesn't want anything to change because he knows that big news that he has control of um, can kind of change everything. He knows that if he exposes a secret that people will hate him, they'll resent him. He's been through this before. And so he's fearing it so much that he is paralyzed with indecision. And it's really not until Locke says that change is inevitable. Things have to change. And it's true. If you want things to progress, if you want to evolve, you have to be willing to let things change. And Locke Locke is somebody who is perfect to deliver that message because there isn't another character, I think, on the island that has been subject to as much change as he has Mm -hmm. when you really look at his backstory and then everything that changed by the time he got on the island. I mean, the guy could walk again, you know, and now everything he does is this big, every step he takes is another step of faith. And he knows that anything could change at any time, at any point, you know, the weather changes, the, the elements change, his settings has, have changed. He's lost his legs and regained them since being on the island. So him telling Hurley, listen, man, you have to be open to this. You know, change has to happen. And Hurley, who's usually so easygoing and roll with the punches, he's so resistant, resistant to this idea. It's kind of jarring because you don't really expect this this theme to pop out of a Hurley story and rather than give into it and give into the mess that it created in his flashback, he decided to learn from that and he just makes his own decision and Jack allows it to happen. For some reason he ran it by Jack, even though he was in charge of it. I don't, whatever that's neither here nor there, (laughs) (laughs) but in doing that, Instead of everybody hating Hugo, everybody loves Hugo, right? Yeah. And he kind of gets to keep that theme and, and he gets to keep that love. And he creates a college bonfire at the end of the episode, which was it me or were there twice as many people on the beach than usual? Oh, it seems like like everybody was there. Like, it Did it- they have a production party <laughs> <laughs> they they potentially could have like that could have been their extras that they used uh, when they filmed that scene I, I think it was one of those things where they just had i mean we do know there, there are 42 people that are still left well there are 42 people still left alive 25. but oh that's <laughs> that's true university of honolulu came out for a party I'm telling and they you, just man. filmed it <laughs> like a, it looked like bonfires I used to go to in college when I was living in California. Like that's exact. I, I I had all these memories of college bonfires <laughs> watching the end of that. But, um, but yeah, I just I loved that there was this positive theme of change, um, that went against a very negative theme of change in in the flashback. Well, I, I think it's uh, for one. I think it's very interesting too that 
with that whole scene. I just, I love the element of, you know, Hurley going through this entire episode of being put in front of this job and thinking everybody's going to hate him. And as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. everybody loving him by the end, the whole, it added to the whole happiness element that I mentioned of everybody Mm -hmm. like patting Hurley on the back and Charlie giving him a big hug and uh, like everybody, as you mentioned, everybody still loves Hurley by the Mm -hmm. end of this episode. But this kind of goes into my my number two a little oh, cool. bit, uh, and it's the opening sequence of the episode, and it's that whole dream sequence of Hurley's, uh, <laughs> of Hurley just staring off at the food uh, with that song being played, and I had it pulled up, and I forget, I have it right here, that the name of the song. It's uh, My Conversation by the Uniques uh, is the name of the song. Which I bring up for another very interesting point. But, you know, we get that whole opening sequence of just Hurley going through all the food, tearing open the candy bar, pouring the cereal, the very odd pull, opening a box and there's a fully made pot roast dinner sitting on a plate. Yeah, that should have been our uh, our indication that it was <laughs> it's a, a dream, dream sequence. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It just happened to be a fully made meal. Like... Or pot roast or steak, whatever it was. I think that it's a steak. steak. Looked perfectly cooked. Uh, yeah. So like pulling that out and then hearing, you know, hello Hugo, and turning around and it's Jin speaking perfect English, although not because it's Hurley speaking Korean. It, it was such a, a crazy element, but there's two very interesting points to this that I, I wanted to bring up, and I, I think I mentioned this at the top. It may have been when we were prepping, but I can't remember. One of them I already knew. The second one I discovered during this watch. Oh, cool. What is it? The first one is when he's drinking the milk. Did you happen to pay attention to the milk carton? No. Uh, remember how milk cartons used to have missing children on the side? Yeah. Uh, Walt is on the milk carton. What? Mm-hmm. Missing child, Walt, is on the milk carton. Oh, I just got chills. Yes. The other one that I noticed, though, and that one, I I had noticed that before. This one, I noticed this time around. In the, in, after the dream sequence has ended, Hurley has his job, and he goes and he talks to, uh, talks to Charlie, which I have an issue with Charlie this episode, but we'll get to that. Me too, man. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Yeah. uh, Because it might be the same one. When he approaches Rose, Rose is humming a song. The song she is humming, My Conversation by the Uniques. Oh, that's so cool. It is the it is the song that was playing during Hurley's dream sequence. Very cool. Very cool. So I just love when there are little elements like that that are thrown into the show. I don't know if the I don't I don't know if Rose humming that song was I mean, obviously, it was intentional. I don't know if there's any deeper meaning behind it, or it was just something they did for fun. Uh, my my guess is it was probably just something they did for fun this time around mm-hmm. to see if people would pick up on it. But yeah, the the one thing I do know they did for sure that kind of had a deeper meaning was Walt's picture being on the milk carton. That was that's so cool. Yeah, I didn't pay too much attention to that scene because people like that 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 kind of stuff like overeating and and stuffing your face and just it, it it's so it just is really gross to me and so i 
like was half paying attention. I don't know if that makes any sense, but it it's there. It kind of harkens back to uh, a season seven scene of um, Game of Thrones when there when Sam is going through some disgusting stuff uh, at Old Town um, at the Citadel at, at the Citadel, and it, it's just like you kind of like look anywhere else that you possibly can at it. So I, there's no way I would, until Jin showed up, I was like, oh, Jin's here. Okay, it's time to listen again. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's also very interesting too that that scene, that whole opening sequence ends with Jin saying, everything is going to change. And it goes right into your whole point about positive and negative change that happens Absolutely. throughout this episode. Absolutely. Yes. I liked it that the gas station attendant was dressed as the chicken. Yes. <laughs> the have a cluckety cluck day, Hugo. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, I guess that leads us to our final points, our, our number ones or our, our fifth points, however you want to approach it. And I've really covered most. I mean, I do have some some side notes to get to, uh, but I'm trying to think of what I could use. I, I'll let you go first and then. We'll just see what we have left. Well, so you wanted to talk about Charlie, and this can probably feed right into Charlie because Charlie is included in this. But it's just the only thing that I really haven't talked about is uh, kind of the element of secrets um, in this episode. So I love the fact that we always get the push and pull from Jack and Locke. They had no screen time together this episode, but they were still... Uh, antagonistic uh, in, in their characters. Jack wants to keep everything a secret. He wants complete control over the hatch and he does not make that he doesn't make that part a secret, but he wants to keep the rest of it a secret or at least enough under his control that that he doesn't that nothing happens without his knowledge. Locke doesn't care. You want to ask him? Then he's going to tell you. Charlie follows him in the jungle. And Charlie's like, you know what? I deserve to know. I want to know. I want to know what's going on. Why he's entitled to anything. I don't know. But whatever. Um, and Locke's like, okay, sure. Yeah. What do you want to know? And Charlie seems really taken aback by this. He didn't. Ex he expected to fight for the information a little bit more. And I'm sure that if Hurley didn't have such a horrible job of figuring out what to do with the food that he probably would have told Charlie, but with his backstory and, and how keeping his lottery winnings from his best friend affected what seems to be affected their friendship for, from that time on, of course, he's not going to tell Charlie about the food because he's scared. He's scared. He doesn't trust their friendship anyways, because he did tell Charlie earlier about, being worth $156 million and Charlie laughed it off and then got mad at him and ran away. Oh, look, it happened again yeah. this episode. Um, you know, so Hurley, Hurley tells Rose cause he knows that Rose is pretty vanilla when it comes to kind of controversy and stuff like that. She's not really going to care, but she's got that mothery instinct to her that I think Hurley latches onto. And, she he takes her down to the hatch and and Jack, of course, gets angry about it. You know, Jack's trying to figure it, figure out what the hatch is all about. So him and Saeed go on this like gopher hunt 
uh, to try and figure out the secrets of the hatch and they can't really figure it out, you know? Um, so, and then there's, you know, the secrets of why did the message in the bottle show up, uh, on, on the shore of the ocean? Um, you know, what does sun, what's sun going to do about it? It should, should Claire tell anybody else besides sun. So there's just this element. And then there's everything that's happening with the tailies, right? Mm-hmm. And who, who everybody is and who everybody, you know, will allow themselves to be known as to the raft guys. I don't know. I just saw that there were, there was just this kind of running underlying theme of just secrets and betrayal. And I don't know what, what, what's the, what's the opposite of secrets? It's not openness. What is it like transparency? Transparency. Yeah. That's, that's a good word to use. Anyways, that was it. Okay, uh, you know what? Then I'm I'm going to use as my number one because you know we both mentioned kind of having an issue with Charlie this episode, and um, you know that was kind of yours played into the whole secrets element, which I think is fantastic because I didn't even really explore that as much as you did, and you know a, a lot of good points were made about that. Mine, my issue with Charlie is purely about Charlie. There's not really any outside elements to that, and. My biggest, and it's not even a huge element. Um, it's not even a huge problem with Charlie. It's it's just a, an issue I took with him this episode, um, and and that's he and he did it twice using chair using Claire and Aaron to guilt Hurley into telling the truth. He yeah, didn't. That was fucked up. It wasn't the whole like, hey, you and I are friends. You should really be open with me. We've been open all this time. Even though you're right, he did laugh off Hurley telling him about the lottery, which I mean, I could understand not believing it, but laughing at him is a completely different situation about it. But, you know, like telling Hurley, are you going to deny a nursing mother this or, you know, you know, are, are you going to deny Aaron food and sustenance? Like using Aaron and Charlie to guilt Hurley into giving him food or telling him secrets about the hatch. I, I had a little bit of an issue with that. That's uh, that's kind of against Charlie's character. But mm-hmm. then again, it's kind of not. It's not because that's what an addict does. An addict is a master manipulator, and he has a great manipulative tool in this baby that he's carrying around. Yeah. So if he wants something and he sees a way to get it by manipulating the situation or manipulating a person, um, that's that's classic addict behavior. So I wouldn't say that that goes against his character, but it does go against who he has changed into since getting clean and finding Claire and but I don't think that that addict uh sense really ever leaves Charlie yeah and and I think you're right I mean it it plays into the whole once an addict always an addict it's you know Mm -hmm. you're you're never not an addict anymore you're just fighting the urge and fighting that urge gets easier the further that you go but it never completely goes away so and, and yeah, I, I think yeah, it's it's not out of character of Charlie, but it was, I guess, a little disheartening and a little disappointing to see it play out this episode. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> that's that's how it is too with Charlie, right? Yeah. I mean, he he takes two steps forward and one step back constantly, and you know, 
it, it's so funny how Charlie and, and Hurley have this really great friendship that didn't get the best start. No, it really doesn't. But I mean, we're going to see so many great elements of this friendship play out that it's I like I can't wait. We mentioned at the top of the episode with, with the the van and Trisha Tanaka is dead. Mm-hmm. That whole scene brings a smile to my face. Currently, just thinking about it is such a fantastic scene that I just God. And it's it's not even just the Charlie and Hurley element of it. It's the Saeed and Sawyer element of it, too. That just or no, I'm not Saeed. Um, Sawyer and Jin mm-hmm. element of that scene, too. That just God, I can't wait till we get to that episode. It's going to be a good one because I love I, I just love talking about these Hurley moments. Mm-hmm. So um, any other side notes that you kind of want to bring up before we we move on to manifest and, and feedback? No, this is a pretty straightforward episode. In fact, we had a lot more to talk about than I thought. Yeah, I, I yeah, I agree with that too. Um, I do have a couple other things that I'll just mention really quick. We we did cool. see we did see Hurley kind of ready to take drastic measures before he finally decided what to do, and Rose being the voice of reason because we saw him pull the dynamite uh, to really to just blow up the food, which would have been a little irresponsible. Uh, setting off dynamite in it, not blowing up the food, but setting off a stick of dynamite in a confined area. Little irresponsible. Especially in the hatch. Yeah, exactly. Because you don't know what the hell is going to happen if you do that. Um, I, I have to say that Hurley's boss, uh, I would have quit on that dick even not having won the lottery. Cause yeah, absolutely. That that guy was a dick. Yeah, um, and the, I've worked for managers like that before. I have, I have too. They're never, and, and it was so perfect the way that that guy was written because th- those guys totally exist in the restaurant business. I don't know about the offices or anything like that, but I was in the food industry for a real long time. And those managers, for some reason, always make manager, always make general manager and they're complete wankers <laughs> yeah yeah i i agree with that completely uh the only other two points i have is i i love the look on hurley's face uh when he tells jack at the end like look you put me in charge this is what we're doing okay. and and jack is like okay like it's your decision go with it and just like the smirk on hurley's face like yeah i took charge i'm the man like this is this is it Good. I'm glad that Jack didn't fight somebody on <laughs> on a decision this week. Good job, Jack. Uh, and the only other thing I have is just uh, another one of my favorite moments. I, first off, I love DJ Qualls. So seeing him as Hurley's friend in this episode was just great for me. Uh, but the whole Hurley and Starla moment, seeing Hurley taking a chance and asking out Starla uh, was just a, another moment that just brought a smile to my face and it was a mighty ducks character and a um uh got wet hot american summer character because she's also in that as well yeah but she was in mighty ducks she was she was i love she was connie i think yes was her yeah yep she was uh gee's girlfriend i love god i love the mighty ducks movies me too they're they're so good uh before we move on to feedback and, and manifest minutes, because we'll jump into manifest minutes next. I have one question for you 
doesn't Uh-oh. it has to do with lost but it's not analyzing anything or anything like that you're one of the losties you're on the beach at the university of california bonfire and <laughs> hurley is handing out food what's the one food you would you would have wished you could have had oh because i can tell you right now oh i'm totally with cat with claire that jar of peanut butter oh i would have been in heaven oh um what would i have wanted I love food so much that I feel paralyzed <laughs> by this by this question. I'd rather you have asked me an analytical question. Um, I well, the one food that I probably would have wanted if I could have gotten it hot and fresh would probably be a cheeseburger. Cheeseburgers are my favorite food in on the planet. Um, but if it was just something from the pantry, uh, I'd have to go with a bag of chips. Okay, simple I enough. Am a I'm a chip girl. Oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm a chip girl. I recently discovered, as an aside, recently discovered uh, these voodoo chips. Have you ever had voodoo I've chips? I've never had them, but I've seen them, and I know people that rave about them. No, I can't not have them in my house. I get down to a third of a bag, and I'm at the store buying another party-sized <laughs> bag of them. Party-sized bag of them. It's to the point that um, the store that I go to, it the, there's something wrong with the SKU code, the SKU bar. Uh-huh. And um, so you have to manually enter it every single time. And I tell them every single time, that's $2.98. Uh, it's not going to scan through. It never does. Just leave it to the end and then and then uh, punch it in. But it's $2.98. <laughs> I, that's the point I'm at. I'm just like, listen, this is, it's not going to work. Let's let's just bypass all of the, mm, this isn't working bullshit because I need the bag of chips. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to look for voodoo chips now the next time I'm out just to get, just to finally try them. Yeah. A bag of voodoo chips. That's, that's what I'm hoping is in the Dharma, the, the, um, what is it? The swan, the swan pantry. Yeah. Do you have a favorite flavor of voodoo? So I know what to try. I think it's just the, uh, I have to check because I think it's just whatever the voodoo chips are. Um, oh, there's no particular flavors. They're just. I think the voodoo. It's it's the. I think that the voodoo chips are the flavor. Oh, okay. Like the New Orleans voodoo, whatever. Because I know that there's different there's different kinds of this particular chip. Oh I'll no! You're no, I'll you're right. right no, you're right. There, it's just New Orleans style voodoo chips. Mm-hmm. Those are what you want. Okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to try them. I've yeah. seen them, and I know a number of people are rave about them. So I'm gonna have to uh, give them a try. Those, those are my jam. Uh, all right. So before we get into feedback, we... oh wait, hang on one second. I'm sorry. I do. I I do have one note. Okay. And that's while I was watching the bonfire, all I could think about was everybody's getting the shits tonight. <laughs> Because you go that long without processed food, and then all of a sudden you get a whole bunch of it. Everybody, everybody better have their own hole in the jungle to go to. Well, I'm pretty sure that if there is uh, shampoo in the pantry, there is also toilet paper. That's fine. Just you know, pass it out. Be ready. Pass it out. <laughs> it's coming. <laughs> that's that's a very interesting yet nasty thought to have. <laughs> Uh, to wrap up the whole conversation about the episode. <laughs> on on that note, 
Uh, let's jump into the manifest minutes uh, and talk about this week's episode of Manifest, which uh, I should have had the title of it brought up, and I don't. Uh, it's not Vanishing Point. That was last week. So we have Cleared for Approach was this week's episode. And as we know, there are only three episodes left before this season is uh, is wrapped. Mm-hmm. So, well, I don't know because there's 18 episodes listed, but IMDb has, oh, no, I think it's only 16 because they only have it up to February 18th. So, yeah, we we only have three episodes left before this season is wrapped. Um, so what are your thoughts on this week's episode? I mean, we get to see more with Zeke and Michaela play out, and they're really pretty much the focus of this episode. We get a little bit more with Ben and Grace, and I will say, didn't hate Grace as much this episode as I have in the past. Oh my gosh, I loved Grace. I can't even believe I'm saying these <laughs> words. Uh, you know, especially after the post where we said, you know, lost uh, for uh, Jack or Grace. And I was like, please get Grace off the show. <laughs> Grace was finally human this week. Um, you know, she's fully involved in the story. She's got Ben's back 100%. Um, she seems to she seems to be settled with this information now that she's experienced some of it. Um, I really, and, and I see that we have decided, she, she looks to have decided that Danny is going to be the past for her. When, when Ben says, make sure you tell Danny, uh, thank you for the truck. And she says, if I see him, I'll tell him. And to me that said, she he she isn't even thinking about him anymore. Yeah. She is focused on her family. She's finally got her priorities straight. I think that she needed this experience. I think Cal needed to leave for Grace to snap out of whatever she was in. However, on the other side of the token, it seems to me that while one love triangle has completely left us, thank God, now it looks like we're about to have another one. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was seeing that too. And that was a point I was going to make in that, uh, you know, it's it, it seems like it, it was really interesting because it seemed like they were finally setting up a connection between Sanvi and Ben. And then by the end of this, we're seeing Grace kind of come around with her scrubbing the door with Ben. And my first thought was, oh, no, like th- now we're going to see this play out on Ben's side of things now. Oh no, that wasn't. Oh, that's not what you were going. seeing. Mm-mm. Mine uh, was Michaela. Michaela, yeah, Michaela, Jared, and Zeke. I think that Michaela and Zeke have, they have a really good chemistry. First of all, I really enjoyed uh, watching them together. I enjoyed. They they seem to also have an actual connection. And this is something that I thought about earlier in the season, and I've kind of put it to the side because uh, the kind of catatonic uh, test subjects have been put to the side. But it seemed to me that every plane survivor has a pair. Um, They have a pairing. Ben, I believe, found his when he was trying to disconnect everybody Mm -hmm. in the mid-season finale. Because once 
he disconnected um, the guy. I forget which guy it was, but he disconnected a man. And when he disconnected the man, he was able to think again. Like it, it disconnected something in his brain a little bit. Um, it seemed that there was another man that was connected to Cal. I just had this theory that everybody had like a connective partner, if that makes any sense. And except Michaela didn't have one. She seemed to be getting everybody's callings. But this app, this episode leads me to believe that Zeke may be her connection because Zeke was having the exact same callings as she was. And then when they arrived at that rock at the end and they were holding hands with the stars and they see the, the drawing and the lightning was going on in the background, that just intrigued me more than probably anything else in the entire episode. And I was really wary of Zeke in the beginning of the episode. And now, <laughs> now I'm real. I'm like team Zeke. Well, so I'm we, excited to see where it goes. We made that prediction last week because you had brought that up as did I think Zeke was on the up and up or did I think there was something behind it? And I said that last week. I was like, no, I, I think Zeke is on the up and up. And then the mm -hmm. moment when they touched and he had a calling, I was like, no, yeah, I was right. He's on the up and up because they're not going to fake that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's very cool. And then Sanvi finding out that he has the same connection to that they did with everybody on the plane and and stuff that. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I was right. And he was on the up and up and because it's going to be a very interesting to see how things play out between the two of them. But I I can see that, too. I can definitely see a, a connection between Zeke and Michaela as well. I think yeah, this, I it's something that's going to bring them closer together. They definitely have a chemistry. They definitely have shared experience, which always helps with any, you know, new relationship or friendship. Um, but I, I want to talk about the big revelation in the show, uh, in this episode. And that's this, the earthquake and the blizzard and the plane crash or the plane event all seem to happen at the same time. Um, or, or what, whatever aftershock theory that Sanvi was talking about. Mm-hmm. So there was an earthquake that was the plane arriving that ended up being an, uh, the event that maybe shook Zeke out of whatever time warp he was in for the past year. Or uh, do you, I, it was like, I didn't have time to watch this again and I, I probably should have, or at least rewound it and listen to this seen again because it seemed that they were trying to say that the cave uh, Zeke Zeke in the cave and his able to emerge from the cave is somehow directly connected to the plane you know you know it's I didn't really put that together but if I'm right in what you're saying and now that I'm thinking about it, it's almost if it, it whatever caused them to lose their time happened at different times, but whatever brought them back, they were all brought back at the same time. Kind of like the 4,400. So while Zeke was only gone, disappeared four years later year. than they did. Well, one year ago for him, but four years later than they disappeared. Because right. they had okay. been go they saying. had been gone mm -hmm. for four years already. He disappeared. They all came back. Well, I don't know because it seems like the the plane survivors have been back for a couple months at this point, and it have seems they? I, well, I don't, or maybe it's only been a couple of weeks. But for Zeke, I feel like he's he just came back. Well, we don't know how long he's been 
But he's not going to survive that long in that blizzard. I mean, you can't. You can't survive. So my impression was that whatever happened to him and however long he was gone, he literally just came back. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I hope that they expand on it. Maybe I have to watch it again. But it seems that there is a connection between Zeke and the plane other than just the marker. And and um, Sanvi said something about aftershock theory. Well, I think it's because I think if I get her explanation correct, and I could be completely wrong on this, is that the event itself was the earthquake and they are the aftershock because those are the words that she says. She says that we are the aftershock. I don't think it's necessarily an actual earthquake. I think it's more symbolism than anything else. Right. Oh, no, no, no. Right. I understand that. Um, I, this is C and this is where I, I, it's so murky for me because I need, I feel like I needed to watch it again and I didn't, um, because I, the, I mean, everything (laughs) is surrounded. Everything seems to be surrounded by a storm phenomenon, this dark lightning. And maybe the dark lightning also appears as a blizzard. Right. Um, so maybe, maybe the fact that the plane that the captain stole and, and flew into the, the storm, uh, a couple weeks ago is when, uh, Zeke came back. I don't know. Maybe. Oh, that's maybe a that, good point. I think that's linked because if somehow. he did just come back, they literally just stole the plane. So, right. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That's that's an interesting thought because I I just I mean and it, while it, it I do want to say like you know when I meant by the symbolism there was if I'm correct in in remembering the episode there was actual earthquakes as well. I think when she says we're the aftershock, I think that's more where the symbolism takes place in because she did mention the turbulence of the plane is technically the earthquake before the event. And she did say that when she checked, when Sanvi checked the weather around where the cave was, there was an earthquake registered at the time of that blizzard. Mm -hmm. So there was, there is some kind of actual earthquake that happens. Yeah. It's definitely elemental. Like whatever is happening to these people, whatever, time warps that they're going through has to do with something that's happening that's disrupting the elements that's all i got i i whether it's a blizzard dark lightning an earthquake an aftershock who knows but it's it's kind of seems to be centered around weather and natural phenomena did you have at the end of the episode, when we see Zeke and Michaela at the end with the stars above them and we start to see the lightning flash, did you, was there any part of you, because I know there was with me, that was thinking, uh, holy shit, these guys are going to disappear? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. <laughs> I was I was really excited because maybe like if they disappeared, they would link up with the doctor and the captain. And then that would be like, we'd have like a flash forward and a flashback and a present. And <laughs> I was really excited about some like serious tra- time travel. But and who knows, maybe maybe we'll get that next episode. Yeah. I mean, again, three episodes left. We're going to see how they're going to fit this into into the story. Uh, do Has th- a second season been ordered yet? I do not know if a second season has been ordered yet. 
But, you know, knowing shows like this, they're going to leave us on some kind of cliffhanger uh, going into the second season. They're going to make us wait. And then if we don't get a second season, we're going to be really disappointed. Yeah, it's going to be like um, Revolution. Oh, my God. That was such a disappointment yeah. that that show got bummed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Me too. Uh, or that that show got bummed. Um, I knew the show got meant. canceled. Yeah. I knew what you meant. I was bummed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I was really bummed, too. It was a good show. Um, yeah, I'm looking right now. There's really no news on whether or not the, uh, if there's been a season two yet. So hopefully we'll see sometime soon. It's usually before the end of the series that like within like when, as the series are approaching the end of the season that we get a word Mm -hmm. as to whether or not it's getting renewed. Hey, if the masked singer on Fox can get a second season, Manifest can get a second season. If two broke girls can get a second season, Manifest can get a second season. Uh, I'm I'm with you on that one because that's a horrible show. I watched 10 seconds of that in the first season and I said, no. <laughs> Sorry to anybody who likes that show. It just not. was not for us. <laughs> um, before we wrap it up, did you jumping back to my thoughts on the on the love triangle? Did you happen to get that feeling as well that they were setting something up potentially between Ben and Sanvi? They definitely had some background music that alluded to that. <laughs> it, that the music, de- I mean, it was just her him say Ben was just saying goodbye to Sanvi, and usually that's just okay. He said goodbye to her, but you know, production put in some music there. Yeah. <laughs> It was the music that changed my emotions. It wasn't their exchange. I think the only other thing worth mentioning about this episode is going into the whole groups, like the anti, uh, the anti-survivor groups, you know, painting the X's and, and things like that. And these guys thinking that they're, I guess, alien replacements or whatever. It's an interesting choice, but I think with only three episodes left, I, I really think it's kind of late to include that. You know things. what I didn't like is the fact that they said, "Oh, we live stream this," and and it's it's really it it goes to show what live streaming really means because that guy, whatever his name is, he threatened a child. He said, "I wonder if he bleeds." I'm pretty sure that didn't make it onto the live stream he was talking about. So you know it. There's a lot of controversy, and and this goes to today's world right now. There's a lot of controversy over a lot of videos that are always posted, and they always lean in whatever direction people want you to be in. And I think that this is a really good illustration of the fact that videos are not always meant to show the real story. Because in in this scene, you see that there is a total exchange um, you know, we can see as the viewer, we see the whole story of what happened and yet it still br- bl- uh, blasts back on Ben because it was probably started or edited, uh, to start after, um, this man threatened Ben's son, Cal. Yeah. Well, also, I, I made, I made a, um observation so grace is a caterer and ben is a math genius and their children are olive for food and cal for calculus Uh, i never even picked up on that 
Uh, that is it. It's just, yeah, that's a good I observation. I have no idea if, that, if, if that's the reasoning, but I just thought that that was funny. Sorry, keep going. No, it's fine. I, I didn't even pick up on that either. And I think, <laughs> uh, going back to the whole live streaming thing, I think they kind of make that a point um, to kind of do that a little bit because you do see um, there is a moment where you see Ben approach the guy and that's where you see the camera in the foreground. Uh, of the guy live streaming it. And I think you're right. I think that's the point where the guy picked the camera up uh, to be live streaming it. And it was after that was already after that was already said and Ben came across. But, you know, in all honesty, I would have been I would have done the same damn thing that Ben did. Like you threaten my son. I'm going to knock you out. Yeah, he's lucky that he didn't knock him out. Yeah. Because I, mean, I wonder if I, your son bleeds. Bitch, I, I, do, I, you're about to bleed. I would have been in Ben's situation by the end of that, threatening that guy the moment I saw he had Cal's picture. Yeah. It, I, yeah. it wouldn't have even gotten to that point where that guy would have said that. I would have been in that guy's face the moment I saw he had my son's picture. Mm-hmm. That, like, that's, that, that's when I would have said, like, okay, you need to, you need to back off. This needs to stop. So, mm-hmm. Um... Shall we jump into some feedback? Sure. Uh, we actually got some feedback while we were recording. Des actually uh, sent us some. He Des, who sends us some feedback every once in a while, is not feeling well. So he actually typed it out. So uh, we will read that. But before we do that, we want to let you guys know that we want to hear the feedback from you as well. And there are multiple ways that you could do that. First and foremost, we are, of course, on Facebook at facebook.com slash lost revisited. Instagram at Lost Revisited Pod. You can email us at Lost Revisited Pod at gmail.com. And if you want to leave us a message, you can record it and you can send it to our email address or you can direct messenger us on Facebook or Instagram. Yep. So, what do we want to do first? Do we want to do Steve's voicemails or do you want me to read Des's feedback? Read it. All right. So, I don't, I don't have the voice. You don't have it. Yeah. And, well, I gotta send them to you, but okay. uh, yeah. So, Des sent us feedback on both uh, manifest and lost. So we'll do the lost feedback first. Uh, and his voice, ba- his uh, his messages say, uh, "My voice left with the heat, so I'm going to leave this here." Uh, Everybody hates Hugo. Gotta love a Hurley episode. That's the rule. The only problem I have with this one is Saeed and Jack. If someone pours 10 feet of concrete around something, leave it alone. (laughs) Saeed even brings up Chernobyl. Yeah. Uh, Got a quick top five for you. Number five, we finally get to see Bernard. Be ready to cry for the reunion. Mm-hmm. Number four, <laughs> number four, Johnny, somebody get a straight jacket foreshadowing. Not too familiar with that one is. Um, number three, Hurley's mom talking to Jesus on the phone, which <laughs> it was Jesus. He wants to know what kind of car you want. What color car? Oh, what color car you want? Yeah. Uh, number two, why don't you pee on it? Was somebody watching Friends on the plane? <laughs> <laughs> I think the hole they're in is even bigger than Joey's. Uh, and number one, the music. Michael Giacchino knocked it out of the park every knocks it out of the park every week with the show. Usually, it's making you tense and makes you cry. But the last twenty minutes of the episode, the music is so uplifting; it goes perfect with Hurley's passing out food, yielding a sense of community with the survivors. Uh, I put this right up there with the best of John Williams. So that's a good point. Michael Giacchino, I I'm a huge fan of his scores, 
and he's done a ton from like the Incredibles and uh, the the latest Jurassic Park movies or Jurassic World movies. He's a fantastic uh, composer, and he, I was always a fan of the Lost music, too. Me too. So. Uh, and then about Manifest, he leaves this. Uh, Love this episode of Manifest. I have two quimmits, as Chris Hardwick likes to say. Uh, number one, does anybody else think they are trying to start something between Zeke and Mick? I think she's going to try and stay away from Jared and make something happen with Zeke. And then typically for TV season finale, Mick and Jared will get stuck in a situation and yada, yada, yada. Lourdes kicks him out. Uh, <laughs> Number two, I think they are setting Grace up as a sacrifice. Anyone else? They're, they've been getting us to hate her from the beginning. Did you see the look? And then in parentheses, did you see the look she gave when the idea of alien replacements came up? And now they're trying to soften her up. I think, hope, she's dead in the season finale. Uh, that's an interesting theory. I don't know if I got the feeling that they were trying to set her up as a sacrifice, but I wouldn't write it off. Huh. I think that I that that is actually a really good thought because it might be the case, especially since it seems that the writers want us to relax a bit on people that know about the callings die with the information that Olive has known for a while. And Ben seems truly surprised that she's still alive. So to me, that could mean that they're all going to relax on it and not be so hyper vigilant. And that could probably, but, and Jared is still alive too. Let's not forget that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that there's something there. I think Des that you've got something there that maybe grace will not get out of season one alive. I mean, and I think there are a couple other people that potentially know about the, the callings as well. I mean, we, well, Zeke has them, so he doesn't exactly count, but, uh, does Olive know about the callings or does she just know that there's something weird going on? And no, that... she knows about, she knows about the callings. That's, that's what I was just talking about with, with, um, oh, I thought you were talking Ben's... about grace. No, Ben seemed truly surprised that Olive was still alive when Olive admitted to Ben that Cal told Olive about the callings a long time ago. Oh my gosh. Cal told this and they don't know that we know that they know that they know that we know. <laughs> That's what I was like. I'm like, okay, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, Jeez. I, you, yeah. Sorry for that. Cause I thought for some reason when you were talking about that for the whole reason that uh, the whole time I had, I'll, I had grace in my head and not olive. So no, it's okay. It's, it's a total, you know, he said that she said that you said that I know that, you know, it's, <laughs> they don't know that we know that they know. Seriously. <laughs> so, so now the messers become the messies. <laughs> Another friends reference. Uh, it wouldn't be an episode if we didn't have at least one. That's right. So yeah, it's an interesting. Des had a Seinfeld reference. So he did. Yada yada yada. Oh yeah, that's I never watched Seinfeld, so I didn't. I didn't like Seinfeld. Hate that's me. A famous episode. Hate me if you want. No, I I never liked Seinfeld either. Either, but. That's a very famous episode. Got it. Uh, so, yeah, thanks, Des, for that feedback. That's an interesting point about Grace. We'll see if that that plays out. Yeah. So, like uh, yeah, now we have uh, we're going to go to voicemails in which we have two from our buddy Steve, who leaves us voicemails every week. First one for Manifest and one for Lost. And we'll start with the Lost one and we'll play that now. Hey, Kristen and Ben, it's Steve. And uh, just a few thoughts on, gosh, everybody hates Hugo. <sighs> 
I hate this. I just finished, uh, I just finished it. And, uh, I have to admit, uh, I get a little dusty, uh, get a little teary eyed every time, uh, that ending with, uh, uh, Bernard talking to, uh, Michael and Sawyer and, and, and you see, uh, their realization that, that this is Bernard, that Rose, who's been saying he's alive the whole time, uh, that he is alive. And, uh, um, then they get that realization. So I, every time I, I tear up a little bit from that. Um, it was kind of a, a disappointment that we only got to see DJ Qualls for uh, this one episode in the whole uh, the whole series. But I, I, you know, I guess it kind of, you know, it punctuates the point of Hurley saying everything's going to change, and uh, so. Uh, kind of like that, but at the same time, I like that actor, so I wish we'd see him, some more of him. Um, it's interesting, the, the, the bottle coming back, I didn't realize it until watching it this time, that uh, the bottle washing up on uh, on the beach, and of course, Sawyer and Michael um, washing up on the beach as well, uh, is going to be revealed at the end of the the season, Right when we find out that Desmond isn't able to leave, he says he you can't leave the island. Uh, so I thought that was interesting uh, to to see that uh, both Jack and Locke were kind of jerks. Uh, the way they pushed this this responsibility on to Hurley about uh, about the food and uh, but they also it was really good that they accepted his decision there at the end of what to do with the food. So that's, that's really cool. Um, and one last thing about, uh, Kristen, I think it was Kristen. I think you brought up the fact of why isn't everybody talking about the numbers things. And I think that really, uh, realistically Hurley and Jack are the only ones that know about these reoccurring sense of the numbers. And, because I say that because even though her, um, Locke heard the numbers when Hurley was talking about them being on the hatch, I think he was, Locke was too blinded by his, uh, desire to get into the hatch that he really probably didn't even pay attention to what the actual numbers were that Hurley was talking about. So it didn't, it didn't dawn on him that these are the same numbers that he's putting into this, this computer. And then, you know, Jack, he doesn't want to, he's blind to the fact that there's any kind of bigger picture going on here. So he's going to deny, even though the fact that, that he's, that these numbers have now come up twice or three times, but they've only come up three times by Hurley's mentioning of them. And, you know, Jack kind of dismissed that. And so Jack doesn't care about the numbers. He doesn't think it's any significance to them. And Hurley, you know, the only person he's told about these numbers basically mocked him and poo-pooed it to him. So why would he bring it up again to to anybody else? So I, I think it's as much as you would think. I mean, if I were Hurley, I'd be shouting to the heavens to everybody that's in, you know, within hearing distance the, the significance of these numbers and make and trying I would be as passionate 
as Locke is to convince people to push the button as to convince them maybe not to push it or at least to get somebody on board with the fact that that these numbers, there's something crazy with them. So that's that's just my uh, take on it. And uh, sorry this went so long. Talk to you later. I love Steve. I do too. It was, it, it's it, it was a long one, but you know what? He always he always makes valid points, and I, I'm perfectly okay with that. And I, I love the he started up with it's it's dusty. Um, I know. <laughs> because as we mentioned it was the same with us like we get choked up at the end of the episode because of the happy moments um and i also i also i just love the expression poo-pooed i do too. I he goes everyone wants to poo-poo it i'm like ah, he said poo-poo. <laughs> we're we're juvenile it's fine children i mean i the only other thing i can say about the feedback though is like when it comes to like if how Steve mentions if he were Hurley, he would like be screaming from the heavens about the significance of these numbers and everything. I I think that's a little easier said than done when it comes to Hurley, because Hurley's and we talked a little bit about this in the episode this week that, you know, Hurley has kind of tried to already reveal things about his life. And he's kind of already been brushed off as if people didn't believe him when it came to like the lottery winnings and anything like that. So. Mm-hmm. I think Hurley probably hasn't done that already because he has this set in his mind that he he's already believing that nobody's going to believe him. So I think that's one of the reasons why maybe he hasn't done this yet. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So, I mean, that's just my opinion on it. I could be completely off. So, uh, but he did leave us one other voicemail and that was for cleared for approach, the episode of manifest that we talked about. So we will go ahead and play that one now. Seriously, that's how the episode ends. That was the moment in the previews that I saw last week that I was talking about the moment with we lightning around them and, and the stars. <clears throat> so that's how they, uh, but I do have to say one thing. I'm going to be a real quick advocate for Grace because I uh, I think someone needs to. And I think, to me, Grace represents people who lack imagination and lack faith. And what we're seeing is we're seeing her faith begin to grow back or, or grow into believing because she she wants her family back together and uh, so that's that's I'm going to continue to until they give us a a, a clear or another reason to uh, dislike grace I'm going to continue to advocate uh for grace because I just I like her I I think the name is part of maybe that's what it is her name is part of the reason why i uh, I, i'm gonna keep advocating uh, for her character and uh, so i can't wait to see next week and and hear what you guys thought talk to you later well he's he's on the same page i mean as we were this week we came around on grace this week we did and you know what I feel pretty proud of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, you let out like a big err in there in the middle of that. I was wondering if that was clear in your throat or were you angry about like or excited about the preview of the episode? I couldn't figure it out. 
<laughs> I love Steve. I love everything about Steve. Yeah. Steve, who uh, also has a podcast here on the Next Level Podcast Network. Yes. Uh, Panels the Pixels, which they're into Punisher Season 2 right now. They are. So, uh, although I think their latest episode, I could be wrong. I got to double check. Is, uh, is a uh, It's a Glass and Aquaman review. Yeah, they're recording uh, the first two episodes of Punisher, their coverage of the first two episodes of Punisher this this weekend. Okay. All right. So they haven't released it. Uh, no, but they are still yeah. looking for feedback. So if any of you enjoy are enjoying the Punisher like I did, holy crap, what a great season. Uh, I would definitely check out uh, maybe leaving them some feedback for their recording this weekend because this will publish uh, on Friday and they record on Saturday. Yeah, uh, just look up Panels to Pixels on Facebook and uh, you can find it. We'll, we'll probably link it in the Facebook, on our Facebook page as well. Uh, and of course, nextlevelradioonline.com. Since it is a Next Level podcast, you can find all their information and links there as well. Uh, but can't forget about Podcastica because there's always great material. I'm excited because Jason, who is the head honcho at Podcastica, just released the, uh, the Walking Dead cast episode about Zombieland. Yes, he I, just released that yesterday. Yeah, I haven't listened to it yet. I'm looking forward to that because I adore that movie. And it's the first thing that they've covered since the hiatus, since the Walking Dead hiatus that I've actually seen. So I'm excited <laughs> to to because I can't I don't listen to anything that I haven't seen because I don't want it spoiled. Yeah. And so I'm really excited. I finally get to listen to Walking Dead guest again. <laughs> and I'm and I'm excited for the sequel that's coming up. Uh, yes. in October, ten year challenge poster I, side I, by side. I did. Um, that was awesome. Fun. It's it's really funny. I've actually on my other podcast, the Spotlight. I actually had Ruben Fleischer, who was the director of Zombieland. I've had cool. him. I had him on the podcast, and this is going back like two years or so. So before the the sequel was announced and uh, or anything like that, we got to talk to him. He was promoting another show that he was working on, but I, I couldn't not talk to him about Zombieland because I love that movie. And we made mention, like we started talking about it and we asked if a sequel was in the works. And he said, he's like, I will tell you this. He's like, I will give you this little bit of exclusive. I have ideas for a sequel. He's like, but I'm not going to do it unless myself, the production crew and the original cast all come back. He's like, so if you ever see an announcement for a Zombieland sequel in the works, just know that the only way that's happening is with the original cast coming back. So about two months later, they announced that a Zombieland sequel was happening. It was officially confirmed. There was no cast confirmed yet. And my podcasting partner at the time, we just looked at each other. We're like, yeah, we already know the truth. We already know that the original cast is coming back. Otherwise, they would not have announced this. They just, awesome. they just didn't announce it yet. And I know a lot of people are like saying, well, it won't be the same without Bill Murray. And the rumor has it, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd are going. Bill Murray's coming back and he's bringing Dan Aykroyd with him. Don't I know how. Just, I can't <laughs> wait to see how that works out. I <laughs> um. One of the other pieces that we got from Ruben during the during it too, and I I just found this funny. I'm gonna have to repost that interview with the news of Zombieland two coming. I'm gonna have to repost it. Yeah, um, but one of the other things we found out was Bill Murray was not the original person he had in mind. Um, he actually wanted Patrick Swayze, but Patrick Swayze had passed away before they had gotten to that point, and Patrick Swayze was supposed to be a zombie. 
he wasn't supposed to be alive. So so when they when Patrick Swayze passed away and they had to change their plans, Woody, having been friends with Bill and worked with him in the past, had said, well, let me reach out to Bill. I'll see if Bill wants to do it. And Bill Murray came on. You know, they talked to Bill and Bill's like, I'll do this on one condition. I don't want to be a zombie. I want to be alive, but pretending to be a zombie. So that whole thing was totally Bill Murray's idea. And Ruben loved it so much. He's like, yeah, we're doing that. So the whole Bill Murray aspect of Zombieland was Bill Murray's idea. That is awesome. Uh, and on a final note, oh, God, I, you know what? Since we're talking about Zombieland, we're talking about Bill Murray. I want to make a recommendation to our listeners, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. And, Go and, for it. And this is going to be a recommendation for you, too, because I watched a documentary on Netflix. So if you have Netflix, check this out. I watched this documentary on Netflix uh, the other day and I'm trying to find it. So, um, forgive me for one second. Uh, it's called, uh, it's called the Bill Murray stories, life lessons learned from a mythical man. It's about an hour and 10 minutes. It, it is a documentary on Netflix. It's all, we've all heard those stories about Bill Murray, like showing up and like photo bombing people or like showing up to random college parties and things like that. This documentary is a guy who literally went and talked to a lot of these people that have had these random and unexpected encounters with Bill and just talks to them about what those experiences were like. And I already loved Bill Murray, but I loved him so much more by the end of this because you start to realize that Bill Murray just lives his he just lives his life openly and just lets things happen the way they should happen like if he sees an opportunity he takes it he doesn't worry about it he just goes with the flow of life That's awesome. It's such a fantastic documentary. A- again, it's only an hour and 10 minutes so it's not going to take a part of your day. Just go on Netflix if you have it and watch the Bill Murray stories. And it's just, I promise you, you won't be disappointed. I will definitely be doing that. So, and you have to let me know what you think after you watch it. Okay. Because I want to watch it again. Uh, (laughs) But I think, any final notes on your end before we we wrap things up? Uh, No. um, My Game of Thrones podcast, House Podcast, is still plugging away. We're about to go into the last few episodes of season six and into season seven. And that just means that we're that much closer to April 14th. So getting really excited there. Everything in my life is Game of Thrones related right now. So (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it's kind of hard to disengage from it these days, but it's fun. So I'm glad Mm -hmm. you're able to do that, though, so we could talk about Lost. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I love I love this part of my week. My Thursday mornings are really fun. Me too. They're always fun for me. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I think that's gonna wrap it up for uh, for this episode of We Have to Go Back Lost Revisited. Next week, uh, I think we're talking about is it abandoned? No, I think it's and found. And found. Yeah, which if I'm correct, I think is a Jin and Son flashback. Woo! So we're yeah. That's again such an intriguing story of those two characters it's always it's always great fun when we get to go back to them as well yes it is but again that'll wrap it up for this week thank you guys for being a part of this and for listening and until next week we'll see you guys further on down that rabbit hole take care valar morgulas 
have to go back, Kate. We have to go back! <laughs>